for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, I'm delighted to have a special guest, Stephen Van Cohen, with me. Uh, He's a global leadership consultant, executive coach, and published author. And that's why we're going to talk today, because his most recent book is called Connectable. It's all about dealing with loneliness, which maybe is an epidemic. I guess we're going to explore whether it is or not, how we can um, increase a sense of belonging, which I'm sure we're going to discuss is going to be key for talent retention and engagement in our organisations. So, Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you for joining. Yeah, it is my absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, I've been a leadership consultant, a management consultant, and an OD practitioner. I know me and you, Lucinda, both have a passion for change management. I have a master's degree in OD. And the last decade, I've spent my time working with a lot of the world's top companies that help them build communities of connection and to help leaders understand the dynamics of social connectedness, why it matters, and how to grow it within their teams and organizations. So what made you decide to focus in on this sort of topic of loneliness? Is it related to the pandemic or was it, if you've been working with lots of organizations, something that you were looking at prior? Yeah, the genesis of the book came compliments of my business partner. His name is Ryan Jenkins. And Ryan is an expert in emerging generations. So he does a lot of speaking on the future of work. He wrote a book called The Gen Z Guide, all about Generation Z. And in his research in 2018... He found that 79% of Generation Z feels regularly lonely, which is a big number. Yeah, it's it. And as he was starting to work with clients, we needed to figure out, hey, if we're going to teach all of these leaders uh, how to recruit and engage and develop um, you know, this, this emerging generation flooding into the workforce, if almost 80% of them are feeling lonely, that's a problem. And what are we going to teach our clients so they know how to you know, best handle this, this new dynamic? And that was the genesis of the book. So we started to do all this research around loneliness and how it shows up at work and what to do specifically around this emerging generation. And then the pandemic hit and we had all of this stuff about loneliness and we went to our clients like, hey, do you want to talk about loneliness at work? And every single one was like, yes, we do. This is a topic we're not really aware of. What should we do and be a, what should we be thinking about? And that led to getting a book deal with McGraw-Hill. And then we were lucky enough to have that book hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list last March. So yeah, it's just kind of been this evolution that sparked from a single statistic about Gen Z. 
Congratulations on a, on the best side. That's that's really impressive. It's it's really interesting that you've um, just said this, and this may or may not be related. But I suppose I was kind of thinking more narrowly about the fact that we're all working more remotely, and um, or, or many of us are. So that's an opportunity for loneliness to be compounded. But I hadn't thought about it specifically in relation to Gen Z, and. Um, without asking a leading question, because you might disagree with me, it just struck me, I, my um, husband pointed out, uh, it was a graph in, in something like The Economist recently, where it was showing that since the, uh, in, it's basically Instagram or the upset of, of social media and actually suicide in females particularly. And I was just, that obviously, I was wondering whether that all links into this or plays into something. I mean, that's quite a hard hitting angle of it, but do you see social media as being part of this or is it completely separate? It's absolutely a part. There are several parts, but one of the things you just uh, alluded to that's very important to understand is loneliness has a direct correlation and is an underlying component to most mental health disorders. So anxiety, depression, suicide, all of these different things that we're seeing increase and there's all this amazing work being done around mental health awareness and the importance of it and how to seek help and what to do. Well, loneliness has been a key contributor for why we're seeing such increases in a lot of these mental health disorders. So um, when we think about why loneliness is growing, social media is absolutely a part of it. So if you look at Gen Z specifically, they are younger than Google, meaning that as they've gone into their late you know, uh, childhood development, 9, 10, 11, and as they got into their teenage years, they were basically on a cell phone using social media and interacting yeah. through a digital um, modality throughout their entire life. But beyond that, there's a whole bunch of other factors that are really interesting. And it's why we're seeing increases away from Gen Z and, and you know across other uh, generations as well. One is what's called dependency shift. So it wasn't that long ago, especially at work, if I had a question and needed help, I had to seek another human. And now that's not the case, right? I seek yeah. e-learnings or YouTube or Google. I can basically get most of the answers I need on my own. And that's created huge separations for mentorship and coaching and giving advice and asking and learning and collaborating. Um, so dependency shift is a huge uh, driver in why people are feeling more lonely. Another is busyness. We just have less margin to actually take time to connect with the people around us. So that's a, a big component. Uh, overly professional workplaces, if I feel the sense that I can't show up as my true self, uh, I have to kind of fit into the mold of whatever the organizational culture is. That's a really lonesome place to be because people don't see me. They see the avatar that I bring into the workplace. Remote work, obviously, like we're not communicating as often in person. And there's a fundamental difference with how our brain responds to connection versus communication. And we can explore that in a bit. But there's all of these really big shifts in how we're just interacting um, at work and away from work that is really driving loneliness to very, very scary levels. And I guess it's going to be compounded in your, your Gen Z um, or Gen Z because of the fact that they would also be the uh, demographic that perhaps have never actually gone into an office because of the pandemic, I'm just thinking that people in our in, in my organisation, um, they literally started um, in the pandemic and so have never actually even experienced that connectiveness of being in an office every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gen Z right now, I think they're 24-year-olds and younger. 
right? So if you're 24, you had two and a half years of pandemic. So you're right. As they've been coming into the workplace, they've come into this really weird work environment that is very isolating, um, which I'm sure has compounded a lot of their feelings of social disconnection and loneliness. Yeah, and they missed out a lot of them on university um, experience, a real social experience, which is obviously a social education. So it's quite a um, an area almost, which we're just focusing on that, but it's quite a, quite a high risk area. You can see they've really received the worst of, of, um, of all circumstances in many ways in terms of, of going forwards. So I suppose um, in terms of thinking to our audience, and I know you're really practical in, in what you offer, and you've got lots of tips for people, and, and my audience would be HR and OD professionals in large organisations and small organisations. Um, what what would you recommend as a starting point to maybe assess levels of loneliness or to support them? I mean, I can see that you're mentioning this overly professional workplaces and interesting and the remote working are obvious areas, but are there other areas in terms of practical steps we can do yeah. look at this well the first thing is we need to be very aware of how significant this is um oftentimes when we think of these kinds of like soft skills and i'm putting soft in air quotes this isn't a soft area it's a dire area because here's what happens when people feel a sense of loneliness at work they're seven times more likely to be disengaged they're five times more likely to miss work due to stress or illness. They're three times more likely to underperform as compared to better connected colleagues. And they're twice as often to think about quitting. We also know that 72% of the global working population feels lonely on a monthly basis. 55% say they feel lonely every single week. And as I've been doing the work that I've been doing, I use a anonymous polling software where I'm doing large events with hundreds of people. And one of the questions that I ask is, how often do you or your colleagues experience a state of loneliness? And it's either hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, rarely, never. And I get to work with companies like Home Depot and Pepsi and Mitsubishi and Bank of America and all these huge, big, you know, massive organizations. And when we ask that question in the polling software, Oftentimes it's above 80% where the audience is saying they feel this way or others on their teams are feeling this way on a weekly basis. And when the senior leaders see that in real time on the screen, it's just like, oh my God, this is something that we are very grossly underestimating as a pervasive problem. And unless we understand the significance of the impact, right? Disengagement, performance, retention, health and well-being. We're not going to do anything about it and just kind of write it off as being an annoyance of the way we have to work in 2023. So I'll start there just with making sure that if the OD and HR practitioners are resonating with any of the things we're talking about, putting a really big spotlight on the significance of this from a business case standpoint is really important yeah. because going into the C-suite and just saying, hey, people are lonely, we should do something isn't going to be often the right angle. We have to let people know that this is really driving quiet quitting. It's driving a whole bunch of health and mental well-being issues. And it's uh, an underlying issue that's a new business threat that most companies are not fully aware of. So I'm going to stop there and see if there's any questions you might have with any of that before we dive into what we should be doing to actually alleviate some of this. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, um, I totally agree in, in terms of having the business case and, and those statistics are really powerful. 
I'm, I wondered, and I don't know whether you know the answer to this or, or not, but is there a benchmark for what things were like 20 years ago? Is there any data to compare it to? Yeah, one of my favorite studies, it's, <laughs> I use the word favorite in uh, kind of a unique way because it's heartbreaking, the yeah. statistic. Uh, but there was research out of Duke. And in the 1980s, this is specific to Americans, and I know you have more of a global audience, but in America, Duke University did a research study and they asked Americans how many confidants they had in their life, right? So the most common answer, not the average, but the most common answer was three. They did the same study in 2004. And in 2004, when Americans were asked, how many confidants do you have? The most common response was zero, which is awful. And in, since 2004, we've seen huge increases in social disconnection. Even pre-pandemic in 2019, the research out of Cigna, Cigna is one of the big researchers around loneliness and its impact, Cigna found that 69% of Americans feel lonely on a somewhat regular basis. And post-pandemic, that's gone up to 72. And I would imagine now in 2023, we're continuing to see rises in this, this level. So it's definitely something that is getting worse. And the statistics have very clearly shown that in the 80s and 90s, you were more connected than we are today. And a lot of those reasons I mentioned earlier are some of the drivers and derailers for why we're experiencing what we're experiencing now. It's interesting you use the word connected because I guess what you're talking about is genuine human-to-human -human connection because arguably people are more connected than they've ever been. It's just that it feels less sincere, I guess, in many ways. Well, it's the same thing. So, Lucinda, you hit on something that is really important because one of the biggest um areas where we don't fully understand connection is we misconstrue communication with connection they're different yeah we're communicating all day long and we have the ease of which we can communicate and get in touch with each other but communication is not connection in fact when we communicate at work when most of that is tactical or we're having to understand what to do by when how where and why all of the tactical communication is processed in the frontal lobe. That's a part of the brain that responds to information and data. Feeling connected happens in the back part of our brain in a totally separate region. When I get that sense of connectedness, we have to do very specific types of things when we communicate in order for that feeling to take shape. So I would agree, we're communicating all day long. Yeah. And it's never been easier to get in touch with people but that in and of itself is not fueling connection. And I think what ha is happening, especially when we talk about the younger generations and their use of social media, is social media gives a false sense of connection. It's like a head fake. It's like, well, I'm, I'm messaging people. I'm seeing what my friends are doing. I'm commenting. But it's like social snacking, right? Like I'm getting little hits, but it's not nourishing. I'm not actually doing the things that I need to have really strong feelings of connectedness because uh, it's just different, right? And how our brains and bodies experiencing those engagements with others. And so the difference between, because I, I, I like that social snacking and the nourishment, what a great analogy. Um, where you're talking about, is, is the difference then emotion or feeling emotion? What's what's the difference, or, or trust, or what's the difference? Um, yeah. So there's an awesome clip. If you go to YouTube, and you type in Oprah Winfrey makes James Corden cry. Right. Oprah Winfrey makes James Corden cry. 
in a minute and a half, she's able to get James Corden to have this very powerful emotional reaction. And in my workshops, I show that clip and I ask the audience, name the seven things that Oprah is doing in order to elicit this really powerful emotional response from James. And she's very deliberate in how to connect. So the essence of connection is rooted in what are called pro-social behaviors. So pro-social behaviors are things like when we're communicating, you get the sense that I'm all in on our conversation. Like I'm really paying attention. I'm giving you lots of eye contact. Yeah. I'm leaning in. So you get that sense of, wow, this individual really wants to know what I have to say. Pro-social behaviors are empathy, making sure that you understand that I understand and we're really in sync in that moment. It's asking lots of exploratory questions. So there's this really good technique called listening to unlock versus listening to fix or listening to win. Oftentimes we just listen to help, you know, solve a problem. But when we listen to understand and someone gets that sensation of, oh, wow, this person really wants to know how I'm doing and what I'm thinking and what's going on. It's all those little tiny things that we tend to just not do naturally, unless we're really good at connecting, that make that person feel seen, right? There's this great line where loneliness is essentially being seen through, belonging is being seen as. It's like when you're with someone and they get it, mm. that's connection. And mm. unless we're intentional about doing those types of things when we communicate, oftentimes we're just communicating and it doesn't, you know, uh, feel the same if we're not aware. It's interesting. What, um, no, thank you for that definition. It's just what suddenly dropped into my head. And this is all 20 odd years ago. Um, the whole sort of engagement survey questions. I remember um, the the original Gallup survey and them having a question, which is, I have a best friend at work. And I remember lots of people, particularly I, I worked in a sort of a very process driven frontal lobe organization. And they thought that that was, a ridiculous question they really struggled with it but when you talk about this actually and, and I remember that Gallup were adamant that this was one of the ones that most strongly correlated with engagement um and you can see that it's a connection there in terms of of what we're talking about here someone that's feeling that closeness in terms of that genuine attachment and and and, and listening also um, I used to train on the seven habits of highly effective people and uh Covey would talk about empathic listening this higher level of listening where you're you're actually truly understanding which is I think what you're talking about there in terms of um you know truly listening to understand rather than fix um or problem solve that Gallup question I do lots of Gallup work as a consultant and even in 2023 it is still a very very controversial question Questions. I did I did an event two weeks ago with a really big company in Canada, and I spent probably 30 minutes just having very good dialogue with these senior leaders about that question. Because there still is this stigma that like, well, their, their big stigma is I can't be friends with the people that I lead because I need to have a separation yeah. of professionalism. Yeah. And I totally disagree with that. I think that you can have very close, strong relationships with people. I, my business partner, I love my business partner. We are very, very close. He's one of my best friends. And because of that relationship, I'm so much more comfortable calling him out when he does things that he shouldn't, giving him very hard feedback that he needs to hear. And because I care so deeply for him, I'm able to push him. And I'm able to just have those really real conversations that I need to have. 
in order for our relationship and our dynamic to be thriving. And I think at work, there's this misconception that if we're friends, I can't do that. I'm going to just give favoritism towards this person and, you know, I'm not going to be able to dive deep into the kind of scary part of the leadership feedback conflict resolution stuff. And I just don't think that's true. I think when you really care about someone and have that closeness, all of that stuff becomes a lot easier and a lot more realistic to actually do. So from a friendship standpoint, I spend a lot of time exploring that with the leaders I work with. And oftentimes light bulbs go off because they're not mutually exclusive, right? I can be really close with you and still not let you slide on things that you are you know, supposed to be doing. And um, that's one of the big, I think, conundrums of leader leadership today that gets confused a bit. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because um, I, I, I would, I, I've heard it both ways in terms of that, but I wonder whether you just happen to be particularly um, well, actually, not in the majority. I'm not saying in the minority, but, but yeah, you've written a book on connectedness. You, you've probably got natural empathy. And I think quite a lot of people, um, particularly in management in positions, maybe feel uncomfortable or actually would rather have a bit of distance. So it's almost a want and they're justifying this in terms of it being misconstrued and things. So I suppose there's something there as a middle, something that comes naturally to you, I know doesn't come naturally to lots of people, whether it's culture, whether it's their personality type. Um, That's where we go. The middle ground would be really interesting. It's it's this thing about how can you still be sincere um, and and still connect, I suppose, connect your, of course, the name of your book with people (laughs) um, professionally, you know, without, without overstepping it, without either party being uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree in the sense that um, nobody should feel uncomfortable or push themselves into relationship dynamics that are quote unquote scary for them to engage with. But one of the things that I think about often, and we won't know the answer to this because it's not something that's really happened in history, but we've continuously seen this very, very strong uh, separation of leadership and professionalism at work. And that's been the norm for so long. And if these senior leaders have gone through the workplace and have been reinforced over and over and over again, that you don't cross lines, you have to create boundaries, then that's going to be the the way in which we're comfortable. Cause that's kind of how we've operated for the majority of our business life. But one of the things that's interesting is, you know, I do a lot of work with a lot of different leaders around the world and the best, most impactful, highest performing leaders are the ones who really have deep, meaningful relationships with their subordinates, hands down bar none. So, you know, while there is this stigma at work that we have to keep things very separated, I just see it all the time when I work with certain leaders, the ones who really get it and do well. And they cross that boundary, you know, pretty easily and it has worked for them. So I agree part of, you know, my research and understanding about the importance of connection is absolutely a driving factor in how I think about things. But I also have seen hundreds of leaders do it well and I know the impact and benefit. So I get to see that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose that's um, it's like when you talk about authentic leadership, if you talk about leaders who are approachable where it's not a ridiculously hierarchical structure. Those are the people that people buy, you know, you buy into it and you generally get a sense that those individuals are comfortable in their own shoes and they would be nice to you, whether you were the, you know, the cleaner or the, the 
CFO. Um, and so it's, I suppose that that genuine thing. And I suppose let's dig into this profession, overly professionalized workplace. That's an interesting statement you made earlier that was one of the causes of um, loneliness, if you like. And that's something that HR might be able to uh, affect. What, what do we, what do you mean by overly professionalized? Is it this this old fashioned formal hierarchical um, organization, or what, what does that look like? Overly professional, I mean, loosely defined is when I go to work and don't feel like I can be myself. I feel like I need to fit into whatever the uh, paradigm is for my role at this organization, right? And Brene Brown's really uh, famous for saying that fitting in is the opposite of belonging, right? Because like, if I have to create what you want me to be, I'm not myself. And there are lots of workplaces where that's the norm, right? People feel like they have to act a certain way and do certain things. And um, that's the antithesis of belonging. So if we have workplaces that are very hierarchical, if we um, have lots of processes around how we give feedback and how we give recognition and how we explain project scopes and how we do developmental type opportunities, then it's just going to feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a cog in a wheel and not necessarily a person who's being truly set up for success at this place. So from an HR standpoint, one of the things that I spend a lot of time working on with my leaders is how to give the right feedback, both positive and negative, how to uh, spotlight someone's significance. So it's really interesting. One of the guys I got to interview for the book, his name is Dr. Stephen Cole, and he's a genomics researcher out of UCLA. And he said, allowing someone to feel valued, cared for, appreciated, desired, needed, whatever you want to classify those sensations as, achieves one of the most fundamental needs we have as humans. Because thousands of years ago, when we were living in tribes, our dependency on other humans was so important that loneliness, when we feel a sense of loneliness, even today, the part of the brain that activates is the same part of the brain that registers physical pain. It's why it hurts when we feel lonely. It's why it's a negative emotion. And it's because a long time ago, if we weren't contributor, contributory to the tribe, we were at risk of getting exiled. Mm -hmm. And that severely limited our opportunities for survival. And today we still need that. We need to feel like we matter. Yeah. And at work, if we're not getting that because of gaps in leadership or because the team is not able to give the right feedback or if we're not doing things that allow us to really recognize the achievements and strengths of others, then that's a huge missed opportunity that HR can, can help uh, focus on. So yeah, HR does have a really important seat at the table with regards to how to help people uh, work in an environment that is more conducive to connection and belonging. So when, in terms of talking about practical steps then, what, where you've worked with organizations and helped them to increase belonging um, or connectedness in their organizations, what sort of things have they done practically? One of the uh, big things is to shift from what I'll call events to activities. So we think of connection as being this offsite event where we have to gather away from work to do certain things. And that's what allows us to feel that team bonding and connectedness. And that's just, it, it, that's not the solution. The solution is finding ways within our working hours to do some of these pro-social behaviors that allow us to feel that sense of connectedness. So one of the things that works really well is uh, either every Monday or every Friday, having a team gathering 
to basically just review the week and give grades for how the week went. So from A to F, I don't know if in the UK you use the same grading scale as students going through elementary, but you know, A's, you had a really, really good, you excelled, F, you failed, mm -hmm. and everything in between measures um, how you're thinking and feeling about performance. So what happens is the teams will go through and I'd say, ah, last week was a C week. And I'll explain why that was. And someone can say, last week was a B plus week. And here's why. And when we all can explain how we're thinking and feeling, it creates clarity, which is important. Um, and then as a leader, I can figure out who's continuously having C, D, and F weeks. And that's my trigger to be able to know, okay, I might have to work with these people in certain ways. The second really practical thing is around cultivating clarity. What happens is if I'm at work and I'm wandering and I don't know who to turn to, I don't have a map, I don't know where I'm going, all of those sensations are very lonesome. So making sure that uh, leaders and you know people on teams have clear directives, clear expectations, the right resources, all of the Gallup Q12 um, needs for how to make sure people are set up for success. I spend a lot of time with clients making sure that they are very on top of each of those needs because getting those done right is key and uh, making sure that people feel a sense of connectedness. Um, and then the last is just taking a little bit of time before meetings just to uh, do little mini icebreakers. And people roll their eyes at icebreakers because they think it's a waste of time. But if you do the right ones in the right ways and people can see the people on their team versus the professionals on their team, that's bonding, that's connective. And you can do that really easily if you have the right exercises in tow. So those are just a couple of the practical strategies that I work on with my clients that have really big impacts on how people feel at work. And would you do some of those on remote meetings as well as face-to-face? -face? Yeah, I, it was so funny. I had someone in, uh, I was doing a, a session with a bunch of senior leaders and they're fully remote. And one of the guys asked, what's a good activity? And I said, you should do show and tell. So show and tell, just like when we were seven, bringing us to school and explaining what that toy is. And uh, I said, choose one person each week. And for three minutes before your kickoff meeting, have them do a show and tell. And he said, that's stupid. He's like, no one's going to want to do that. Uh, this is a waste of time. And it's too novel. I said, do it for three people. I said, after the third person, if it is something that no one likes, then you can get rid of it. And by the third person, he emailed me, he said, this is glorious. He goes, everybody gets so excited for their week. And what happens is they show something really cool, something really important in their life that has a core memory associated with it. And when people can light up by sharing something really cool uh, about you know their life, it's a very connective experience and it doesn't take a long time. So he was... Uh, on the fence about it to say, you know, to put it kindly. And after actually doing it, he realized, wow, this is a pretty powerful experience. So yeah, doing things remotely um, and doing things in person, you should just do them and they're good for you and they're good for your team. Yeah, brilliant. Simple things like that. Because you do see, it is interesting if someone does something like that, you get, oh, actually, and then they'll ask you about your golf how did you get on your golf match or whatever it was that, that you did? It just gives that kind of, it's that connection again to people. You've got something that's outside of just the work, the, mon the monotony, isn't it, of the workspace. So simple. Yeah, one, like 
one of the guys talked about how he's a huge hiker and he showed his hiking boots and he talked about some of the places he hiked. Someone else on his team, his immediate team, uh, messaged him afterward, hey, I'm an avid hiker too. And what do they do? They went on a hike together, right? Uh And like, think about how bonding that is for these two people to now have this shared um, activity that they can create deeper, meaningful connections and, and belonging through. And that doesn't happen unless you're finding ways to create those opportunities. Yeah, it's making it, making it less transactional, making it safe for people to share stuff. It's interesting. I run webinars quite often and um, I, yeah, monthly, and I used to run them more often when everyone was remotely. But these are people yeah, from different organisations. And what's quite interesting, because we get the chat going, honest, I've always done it that way to try and make them relatively interactive. Because that's kind of the culture of the webinars, you sometimes find that people go, oh, I know something on that. And I've seen people make connections through the webinar chat, which is so fantastic. And then they, you know, take it offline and they share some information. So, so it's the, the beauty of technology and, you know, this larger um, pool that we do have to talk to people in, in effectively as long as we can keep the human bit in there, we can actually make more out of it. But it's very easy to lose that um, cute human bits to make it very, very transactional. There is some research that came out of the University of, uh, of Wollongong in Australia. And the researcher found that social media is very, very good for boosting connectedness if and only if it's the catalyst to create conversations offline. So if I see on Instagram that you just went on a trip and then I call you to talk about your trip, Social media is a brilliant way for us to have those opportunities to connect because it gives us things to talk about, reasons to get in touch, things to share, and it you know gives us opportunities to learn, but we have to do something offline uh, yeah. because of it. And in those regards, yeah, social media, LinkedIn, anything we use is actually a great tool to spark more social connectedness. I'm at the risk of going off topic here, so I'll keep it brief, but it is interesting, spouting other thoughts, but here's also, I'd see that, so Facebook, as my kids would go, old person's, you know, soft, you know, social media, but, you know, I live in a village, and so in a village, we've got things like, I don't know, you've got people who are, you're connect, you're part of the same community, you don't necessarily know them well, but people are more likely to help out. If I went out and said, can anyone suggest X, Y, Z, or could anyone lend me X, Y, Z? kind of because you're in a village people are more likely to offer it feels because you're a community you will often get helped um but what's interesting about that is it strikes me that I'm not someone who feels particularly the people who ask and offer are not necessarily the people who are feeling lonely and they're probably not the people who are well they're definitely not the gen z because they're not on facebook um but do you know what I mean <laughs> I wonder whether it that's there are lots of people who are not saying things and don't have the confidence to reach out and ask in that environment, even though it can be a good trigger. Yeah, unfortunately. So like when we feel hungry, that's just our biological cue that we need to get something to eat. It's very easy to just go get an apple and and sustain whatever that that you know request is internally. When we feel lonely, that's just our biological clue we need to connect. However, it's very funny because you would think it would spur an action to reach out to do something pro-socially beneficial. And it doesn't happen that way. Because what happens is if I'm already feeling isolated and poor about my level of connectedness, it's risky to continue to reach out and get hurt even more. So people retreat inward and they tend to further distance themselves 
Because what's the point? If I'm already feeling this way, I don't want to further magnify this uncomfortable sensation. And you do see people, you know, get a lot more reclusive when they start to feel lonely, even though they should be doing the opposite. So yeah, you're right. Um, you know, uh, people who are showing up and helping out are probably the people who are already feeling good and they're getting just a lot more quota met for their social connectedness. And we got to be aware of the people who who are further removing themselves in isolation because um, those are the people who need us to do those pro-social things the most in order to get them out of their current state. It's an upward or a downward spiral, isn't it? And I suppose mm-hmm. that's, actually, that's actually almost a, a human social responsibility for us, wherever we are, whoever we are, you know, spot those people who are, who you can just say, oh, do you fancy coming along to this or, you know, that you can help along. But how do we, but we should do that in our own organisations too, in terms of, of how we, how we can enable this further. Yeah, so, there's, there's a good resource. If um, listeners go to lesslonely.com, I know it sounds like a dating site. It isn't. <laughs> go to lessonlonely.com. There's a resource. It's called the 10 signs of a disconnected workforce. And um, it gives you like the 10 things that you can look for among your team or colleagues in order to spot someone who might be feeling lonely and disconnected. So that could be a good way for uh, your audience to be able to pinpoint like what do I need to look for? How does this show up at work? And if you start to see these things within, you know, some of the team members, you can be equipped on actually taking a step forward and and helping them feel more connected. Fabulous. I will get some of these links that you've, I'll put these links in the show notes, people, if they're listening and wondering what they are, so you don't have to rewind, but I'll take those out. So, so I'm just kind of going back in terms of summarizing what we, what we've covered. Um, we can see that certainly uh, certain generations are probably at a higher uh, predisposition just due to circumstances and age of maybe feeling less connected um, there. It, this is something that needs to be taken seriously as an organisation because of the, you know, the huge correlation with engagement, retention, performance or lack of performance, attrition. So it, it makes a huge sense to do this. Uh, in terms of line managers, this definitely feels for me as that connecting, like giving feedback and just good quality people management, not transactional, but understanding our people as people, but then also maybe creating, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's, um, what did you say, not events, you st- activities rather than events. So things mm-hmm. where people have a chance to engage um, and you know, even if it's simple things like show and tell or um, what you said about doing icebreakers or saying, how was your week, A to F, where people are sharing and talking, these sort of things that get people opening up and incorporating yeah. those so it's less of an overly professional um, environment. Anything else that you'd suggest to the listeners that would be useful takeaways to, to look at this, this topic within their organisations? You did a phenomenal job summarizing. And I would say that's a great place to start. If people are hungry for more, the book Connectable is jam-packed with all kinds of strategies and activities. And we profile um, a whole bunch of different companies in the book and we explain what they're doing in order to help create more of a sense of belonging uh, and connection in their organization. So that was one of the most fun things I got to do when I was writing the book is I got to interview from people at Expedia and Blackstone and Home Depot and Pepsi and a whole bunch of other huge companies. Um, 
and learn what they're doing. So there's uh, some some good literature in the book too. Yeah. So uh, go check out check out the book is a good next step. Yeah, I would agree. Fabulous. Um, Stephen, it's been really wonderful talking to you. I found this a very, very interesting topic. So thank you so much for, for joining us on the HR Uprising. Thanks for having me. If people want to reach out to you, do you want to just say if they do want to look at you up and the best way to get hold of you? And obviously I'll put these links in the show notes. Yeah. So the best way is to find me on LinkedIn, Stephen Van Cohen. I'm pretty easy to find. Or uh, my email is stephen at lesslonely.com. And that's Stephen with a V. With a V. Yes. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you once again. And um, yeah, I wish you further success with your, your book. And uh, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Thank you so much. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.